This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Now, I, I don't know if y'all are, come from a competitive family like I do, but we, we like a little friendly competition. Y'all ever have that in your house? A little bit. It's gotten to the point where my wife and I just don't play games anymore. I don't know if y'all have ever gotten in a fight because y'all was playing a game. Okay, one time for Christmas, my wife got that credit card Monopoly game. Y'all ever seen that game? I don't know nothing about Monopoly at all. Nothing. And, and my wife works at a bank. Just understand what's about to go down. Okay? So, so about 30 minutes into, and the thing about Monopoly is you invest so much time in the game. It's like they could go for days. And about 45 minutes, 30 minutes into this game, I'm broke. I'm not passing go. I'm in jail. Everything I own is mortgaged. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And somebody, somebody got so upset, they threw the credit card down and walked off. And might have even thrown a little something. I ain't going to tell you who it was. I'm not going to tell you who got that upset. There's this old story about two ships that left out out of Memphis on the Mississippi River headed down to New Orleans. And they got out, out of the port, and it's back in, back in the day when they were running some steamships. And the, the sailors were close enough to each other that they could talk a little smack. You know what I'm talking about? F- little friendly competition. So they started kind of edging one another on. And before long, it was just a full-fledged race down the Mississippi, headed towards, headed towards New, New Orleans. And about, about three-quarters of the way through it, one of the ships ran out of a fuel. They, they had enough coal to cruise on down the Mississippi, but they didn't have enough to race. You know what I'm talking about? So, so one young man just decided he would just see if something would work, and he took a piece of the cargo, and he threw it in the, in the boiler and set it on fire, and you know what? It worked. So they started taking their cargo and throwing it into, into the furnace, and they won the race by a lot. But they burned up all their cargo. And the truth is, is that in our, our families, many of us are racing and we're risking some pretty precious cargo. Some of us are, are going so fast and we've kind of forgotten what the, the point is. And I want to remind you of something I've told you throughout this series. It's important. It's that you, you can't win. You can't win if you're playing the wrong game. And many of us are playing that game in our families. I'd like to look today at a, at a passage of Scripture that comes out of 1 first, first Samuel 16. If y'all would, just go ahead and turn in your Bibles. If you can't see your Bible, if you don't have one, it's all right. We're going to put the scripture on the screen for you. Some of you got your phones out. I know you ain't texting. Pulling up the Bible on your phone, that's all right. All right. Let me set this up for you just so you know what's going on in this passage. 1 Samuel 16, God has given Israel what they asked for, a king. 
His name was Saul. And Saul more than once just decided, you know what? God has a plan, but I have a plan. And instead of doing God's plan, I'm going to do my plan. And God got tired with Saul doing his own plan. And so there was a, a man in Israel. His name was Samuel. He was really kind of like the Billy Graham of his day. You know what I'm talking about? Like the spiritual leader of Israel. And Samuel begins to grieve in his heart for the condition of Israel. And God sees his grief and tells him one day, I've rejected Saul. I want to send you to a little town. It's a little town that for us is familiar. It's called Bethlehem. Because that's a little town where another king was born. He sent him to a man named Jesse. He said, listen, go find this guy, Jesse. He's got some sons. One of them is going to be the next king. Now, Jesse, Jesse's not just some, I mean, he's kind of a farmer, but he's known. He's so much known that a few chapters later, someone asks about, about David and they say, say, well, who, where's this dude from? And he said, well, that's Jesse's boy. So the king knew who Jesse was. So he's kind of at least familiar. He's got some prominence in the community. And so Samuel shows up in Bethlehem. And we're going to pick up when he shows up and he says, just gather your boys together. Uh, let's, let, let me pray over them. Let's see, let's see what God's going to do with these. And we're going to pick up in, in, in verse 10. But while we get there, let me, actually, let me tell you what's going on. Jesse gathers his boys together. And he brings probably what most of us would do. He brings the best looking one, right? right? He brings the good looking son the one that's tall and fit. He brings him to Samuel and says, surely this must be the guy you've been looking for. And Samuel, Samuel looks at him and prays about it. And Eliab is not that guy. As a matter of fact, that's where the famous verse in Scripture that God says, listen, Samuel, I don't look at the outward appearance like you do, like man does. I look to the heart. So Jesse presents his next son, Abinadab. Nope, that's not him. And one by one, begins to present his sons. And God keeps going to Samuel. No, that's not him. That's not him. And so let's look in verse 10 and see kind of how this goes down. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen any of these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Listen, sometimes things in scripture are funny. This is one of those moments. Are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. But he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance. And handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and, the anoint, and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. Listen. 
If Ryan Seacrest showed up at your door today and said, I got a million dollars for one. For one of your kids, if you, I got a million dollars right now. Get them all. Bring them in here. I'm going to pick which one I'm going to give it to. Let me ask you a question. You going to leave one outside playing? Because the real, pa- the real question in this passage is where's David? Where's David? I mean, the prophet of God shows up to, to pick a son. Give me your sons. Well, I'm going to get all of them but David. And I understand there's some logistics here because they got some sheep in the field that need looking after. But listen, if Billy Graham showed up at my door and said, listen, I just the Lord sent me to pray for one of your children. Could you just get them all? I would be like, I don't, I'd be rounding up kids that aren't my kids. Right? Like, y'all all come in. I don't, y'all playing on the street. Come on in. Billy Graham's here. He wants to pray for somebody. We're going to make it happen. We're witnessing maybe one of the most epic parental failures in all of Scripture. And the thing is, is that there's some things that we're going to learn from this today. We're going to learn because most of us in our families are playing games that we can't win. And the next thing in your notes is this, that we need to create a new culture in most of our families. And so when we decided to talk about family, I decided that it would not be appropriate to not include uh, Robert Eller. Robert is our family pastor. What that means is that he, he takes care of your children and your students. And his job is not just to be a children's pastor. It's not just to run programs. It's not just to meet with students and help them out. It's to work with families. And I promise you that there's not a person, there's not one person, there's not another man in the world that I would want to do this other than Robert. And today as he shares with us, And he's going to give us some stuff that if we can get it to work in our families, if we can make those changes, that there can be some serious games changed in this place today. Robert. Thank you, Kevin. What a pleasure it is to be here this morning with you guys. As Kevin's already told you, my name's I like to call myself Rob. Kevin knows me a long time ago when I was Robert, (laughs) but that's okay. Um, So Pastor Rob's good or Rob or hey you, any of that stuff works. I'm the family pastor here. Um, I think, do you have a picture of my family? Do you have that? That you can throw, throw it up there. Okay, here they are. That's all of them. Um, I'm the one with the curly hair. Um, then you got Natalie, my oldest, she's 11. Then Abigail, who is nine. Let's get them all age right, I think. Um, Brynn, who is four, she four or five? Yeah, okay, four. And then Heather. We've been married 12 years, and she's running the children's ministry for me today. I'm so thankful she's there so I could be in here. Um, but that's my family. I've been a father for 11 years. It doesn't seem like it, but that's the case. Uh, I tell everybody that me and Heather were on the five-year plan for kids. And we got married, and we had our first daughter two, year, two days before our wedding anniversary. So the five-year plan didn't work out quite like we wanted it to. Um, it just kind of happened that way. Uh, let me tell you guys, as I looked at the scripture, 
And I thought it was phenomenally important for us to look at what, hap- what happens in this setting with Jesse and his, and his family. And, and what I'm really concerned about is in Stanley County and in America, our families are broken. And, and I think that we can learn something very valuable by looking at what happens here. When you look at this, here's what the first thing we got to realize is that as parents, we're not going to be perfect. Man, after 11 years, I know I've made plenty of mistakes and things going on in my life, you know, and something happens and we leave our kids broken and it just doesn't work out the way we wanted it to. But here's a really great thing. You look at this story and, and let's talk about the good thing first is that in the end, David ends up exactly where God wanted him to be, king over Israel and probably the greatest king until Jesus came. So even though his, his dad really messed up and he botched it and he didn't get it right, then David ends up exactly where God needs him to be and where he wants him to be. So the great thing is, is as parents, God gives us grace to accomplish what we need to do. But what, what I want to do is I want to be very honest and candid about what happens, though, is that what David does is, like Kevin said, an epic fail for, fail, for families and the structure within a family. He does something that will cause hurt in a, in a child's life or possibly the rest of their life. Most of the time, that's what happens. It causes them to have questions of worth and whether they're good enough and whether they measure up against everybody else. And so as we look at, as we look at the, what happens with, with Jesse and the decision he makes, let's be very understanding that, that it's a big deal in families and how you treat your kids and what happens within your home. So as I was thinking about the mistakes I've made, and here's what's really crazy is I've made the same mistake. I don't, like, I don't know. I was thinking about it. I don't know how many times I've done this, not very often, but every once in a while I'll throw out that, well, your sister didn't do that, and that's not really a good thing. Um, so I've done that before, and that's kind of what David did, but on a much grander scale. And so, and so as I thought about the mistakes I made in my life and the, one of the things I want to tell you first, I immediately thought of a story. And I'm going to have to put this down to tell the story. Is that okay with everybody? <laughs> um, so we were playing in my yard one afternoon, playing kickball. Have you ever played, like, family kickball with some friends? Like, we don't ever play it, but we played it this day. And so, so we had this, like, the red kickballs. Everybody know what I'm talking about? The rubber ones. Not like, sometimes you play with, like, the Walmart balls that have, like, princesses on them, and the ball goes, like, two foot. But, no, we were playing with, like, the rubber kickballs. And it was my family and some kids from my church who were playing with us, and and we were, we were, I'm super competitive. Um, I coached upward a couple years ago for all girls league and got in an argument with one of the other coaches and they had to call me down. So I'm pretty competitive. And so I'm playing this game and we're like killing my wife's team. It's like Heather and my middle daughter, Abigail, and these other kids that are not athletic against the athletic kids. And I'm one of those kids. And so I'm in there and we're winning like 35 to like two. And, like, it's her last time kicking, and Heather's talking a little bit of junk, and I don't know why, but it's frustrating me. And I'm like, why are you talking junk? We're killing you. And I don't even say anything. I just said, I'm going to kick a, I'm gonna kick a home run this time. And there's about 100 yards to the road. I said, I'm going to kick it in the road. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do. And so they roll one, and it's, like, really crazy rolling. I give it back to them. And I'm like, no, I want to. So that when, when the ball, I'm going to kick it with all I have, you know. And so I get to the point where the ball's rolling down the middle, and, and I cock my leg. You know what I'm talking about? Like, air back, twist my 
into the kick, and I kick it, and as soon as my foot hit the ball, I knew something went terribly wrong. Now, I was aiming for a specific area on the field, and it was right beyond my daughter's head. Like, there was nobody out there at all. I mean, she was like right beside the pitcher because Heather said, go on up, Abigail. He can't kick it over your head like that. And so she comes up right beside the pitcher, and I kick the ball as hard as I can, and everything slows down. Have you ever had that moment in your life? Everything just slows down. And, like, it's like slow motion, but it's not slow motion. It, like, takes an hour, but it really takes, like, two seconds. And so I kick the ball, and it travels three foot off the ground, literally right from my daughter's face. I would duck. She didn't duck. You know, hits her square in the face, picks her feet up off the ground. She lands on her back. Now, I'm not going to lie. The first thing I thought about, I wanted to laugh. You know what I'm talking about? Like, America's Funnies on videos. Then I saw my wife. And I just wanted to cry then. You know, I didn't want to laugh or anything. And so, and so in that moment, what I wanted to tell you guys was like, I did the exact opposite thing that we should want to do for parents as parents. In that moment, it was not meant to happen. It just happened. And I lost like a sense of consciousness that the kickball game didn't matter. But in that event, I caused my daughter pain. And sometimes this is going to happen as parents. Sometimes there's going to be events where it's just going to happen and, and they're going to cause hurt whether you mean to or not. And so if we're going to change the way we win at home, like we're losing at home, we want to be winners at home. The first thing that we have to do is create a culture of protection. Now, the kickball thing is really funny, but listen, as soon as your kids get old enough to go to school at least, they are attacked with what they should be, what they're not good enough at, what they need to measure up to. It starts from the time they start school and goes all the way until they die, literally. And this culture will constantly measure them and see where they stand according to what this culture and society says they should be. Listen, it's on TV shows, and it's even in teachers. Hey, my sister and brother were amazing. Like, my brother's a genius, and my sister, like, finished second in her class. And I don't know how many times I heard, boy, your sister was really good at this at school. And so then what's really crazy, too, is, like, if I decide to take Natalie over here to Food Line after the service and get her a drink out of, you know, at the cashier's area and and I'm standing in line, and you look at a magazine, just a magazine cover, it begins to rate whether Natalie measures up to what women are supposed to look like or not. And so immediately, the world is, is judging your kids from day one. And so the protection that we want to give, listen, here's where it changes all that. If you protect your kids from that environment, if you protect them to the point where they're good enough and you see value home, and they don't feel like they're going to be judged like they are at school and in the world, then they will live in a confidence that exudes them to do what they can do for Christ. Like, you won't get in the way. See, the problem with the Jesse story is he got in the way of Samuel being able to tell David what God's plan was for his life. The problem with our culture is that the culture gets in the way of people seeing their value. And the problem with families today is that we have bought into doing that at home as well. If you could, you know, if you could only be as good as your brother, 
Or why can't you do this better? Because some parents even compare them to other kids, you know, in different families. But you guys, if we can, if we can protect our kids from that environment at home, we can raise up a family that will be powerful and united. Something that goes hand in hand with that. And, and protecting our kids is something that just naturally goes with it, is creating a culture of love in your home. See, like, protection's really important, and protection is great, but without the love that goes with it, then, then it's, just, it's just you're a really good protector of things. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Kevin's laughing at me on the front row. Um, so with love, though, here's what's the deal with love, is that, is that so many parents today believe that as, as parents, our number one objective and priority is to, be, is to produce well-mannered kids. And I think the, that, well, I know that the, the thing with that is that well-mannered kids are awesome. But you know what has to be at the root of all that? It has to be a love for your kids above all else. Like, like, the, like our God the Father, how he loved me when I was unlovable. Our love shouldn't be dictated on whether our kids perform and act the way they should. And so as parents, our, we need to love our kids in spite of their failures and shortcomings. And our, our kids need to know that when, when they come to us, that we're going to love them even if we're not exactly happy with them. We have become more concerned about whether their name, they pull a strip in school, than whether we let, show them love at home. Hey, listen, here's the thing. If we love our kids well, then we will do everything we can to make sure that they function in society well. And that means that they'll be well-behaved. So as parents, we got two things. we got two things we need to do well. We need to protect our kids. We need to create a, a culture of protection. And we need to create a culture of love. And so here's what's really great. It's like you're a kid in here and you're going, you're right on, Rob. You get those parents, right? And you're like, hey, Rob, get them. You tell them what they need to be doing for me. Um, like, yeah, love me when I'm terrible. Do that. You know, that kind of thing. But listen, there's the other side of family equation, and everybody in here is one of these. And the other side of the family equation is kids themselves. And so in the, in the story of David, there's a certain thing that has to happen within the kids. And here's what I do know, is that in this room, that there are people who may be 35 years old, and they were treated the way David was in this story, and it still hurts. And there are kids that are 15, and their parents have put unrealistic expectations on them that they want them to be, and you still feel like you can't live up to anything. And there are people in here who, doesn't matter how old you are, it still runs deep that your parents never thought you were good enough. But here's what I want to tell you. If you want to be freed up from that today, I can tell you what the first step is to take next as a kid. And the first step for that is, is to create a culture of honor within your parents. Um, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, which is the fifth commandment, says to honor your father and mother. Here's what I want to tell you, and this is, you're going to think I'm crazy, and it's okay, a lot of people do. I'm going to tell you this, that I don't want you to, I want you to honor your parents and not respect them. You ever heard your parents say, you need to respect me? You know what I'm talking about? My parents told me that before. Um, <laughs> uh, let me tell you what respect is. 
Respect is for everybody else to see that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Listen, when you go to school, you may not respect the teacher or have any confidence in that teacher at all, but you'll respect them because that's the right thing to do. And it's just an outward appearance, and it's what you just try to do for them because that's the way culture wants you to act. Let me tell you what honor is. Honor is something totally different. Honor is seeing the value in somebody beyond what you see on the outside sometimes. So it goes both ways. So as a kid, your, your responsibility is to honor your parents because God put them in a place of leadership in your life. Because God placed them in your life for a reason. He, told you, he wants you to honor them so that you can respect them with the true respect because you, you value them as a person. So say, let's say your parents have epically failed like, like Jesse did. It doesn't neglect you from the right of what you're supposed to be as a kid, according to Scripture. What I think is really, what's really great about, about the commandment of honor your parents is simply this. It is the only commandment that comes with a promise. And, and it's the first commandment that deals with everybody else, and it has to do with parents and family. So that means that God thought it was pretty important to talk about it first. Here's what it says. It says, honor your mother and father, or father and mother, and that you may have a long life in the day that God has given you. So what God has promised us is that if we will honor our parents well, and we will create a culture of honor, then we will, we, God will bless us where we're at. I'm not going to promise you you'll live to be 120, but what I will promise you is that God will be true to his word. If we as a family will begin to have a culture of protection and a culture of love and a culture of honor, we can change for future generations what has been destroyed today. Thank you. Let me, let me kind of pull this all together. One point Jesus has asked, what's the greatest commandment? It's a big question to get asked, especially for Jesus, you know, because he's Jesus. And he gets, he gets asked some pretty important questions in the context of Scripture. And the reason it's an important question is because the commandments kind of govern how we behave. That's what the law is all about, what we do, right? And so it comes out with, with two in Matthew 22. He says, well, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. But the second one is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. And it's unfortunate that sometimes we, we look at the person who works in the office or maybe even the cubicle that's next to us and we value them more than the person that's in the bedroom next to us. Because it doesn't get any close in neighbor terms than family. And so if you want something to kind of wrap all that stuff up and, and just something that, that you can go home and just plug it into your family and know this can change the game no matter where you're at. It's this. It's this. To love Jesus first 
and value everyone equally. How many of y'all know that we get that backwards sometimes? Listen, you can't love your children well, parents, if you don't love Jesus first. Husbands, you can't love your wives well if you don't love Jesus first. Wives, you can't be the kind of wife that God called you to be if you don't love Jesus first. And you know what? That whole game of having favorites and family is just stupid. But it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you don't love people differently. Sometimes we get the feeling that we're not the favorite because someone else is getting loved differently. So Jesus doesn't say, hey, you know what? You can choose your neighbors. Just pick a few of them. Pick the one that's across the street and the the one that's in the cubicle next to you because you like them too and the good folks, right? And they're easy to talk to. They don't have any problems. But how many of y'all come from some crazy families? Listen, I come from a crazy family. I'll go ahead and tell you that. I got a lot of family that's here. I'm sorry, you're crazy. All right? Sometimes you just see the crazy in your family more than other people do. That's the truth, right? But if, we, if we're going to love and change the game in our families, listen, that's what changes the game. That is. So where, where should it start? I mean, what do we do next? I mean, what do we do if I'm a, I'm a husband and I need to love my wife a little bit more? What do... What do I do if I need to change the game? I've been parenting and I'm kind of, I feel like my kids are just going crazy. I don't know what to do with them. The thing is, is that when we talk about all this stuff today, it doesn't take someone else to start it. It just doesn't take somebody else. It's not about somebody else saying, hey, you know what? Listen, I'll go all in when you do. Man, I'll start working on all of this stuff when you feel like you can. No, that's not the way it works. Moms, dads, brothers, sisters, parents, children, listen, it's time in most of our families to recreate the culture that's there. And the first thing we got to do is we do have to create that culture of protection, and that starts with you. That, starts, that means don't talk about your family behind their back. I know it's fun. Listen. I know it's fun to point out the little things they do that are stupid, you know. I know. I mean, listen, I got family. I already told you, they're crazy. Listen, it's fun to talk about them sometimes, all right? I know it is, but don't do it. Don't talk about your family. Create a culture of protection. Listen, there's a place that we all need where we can just be stupid, right? Because when we all just kind of let it all hang out, now we can all get it all together when we come to church and when we go to work and when we go buy some groceries, right? But there's some times we just can't hold it all together. And we need some family around us that's going to love us, not get all weirded out by us. You know what I'm talking about? We need that. We need that. 
We need a place that, that we're loved unconditionally. Parents, you take notes on that. Because we live in a world that has propagated conditional love for parents like it's nothing, right? Where I will love you if you get straight A's, but I'm going to be angry with you. I'm going to be mad. I'm not even going, I'm not going to be your friend now. We're not going to that movie anymore. If you're a kid, listen, most of us that are parents, we're just trying to figure out what to do that's right. I mean, they don't write books for every circumstance. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that, all right? We ain't got, there's no manual. You weren't born, and then we got a big manual that said, from the beginning, that's not how it works. That's why. That's why creating a culture of honor in our families is so important. I'm just going to elaborate a little bit on what Robert said. Listen, honor and respect are different respectives with behavior. Respect focuses on what you do. Honor focuses on the heart. And parents, I'm going to tell you something. We need to get to the point where we stop trying to parent behavior and start trying to parent the heart. All right, because I can get my kid to do whatever I want her to. I got duct tape at home, all right? If I want you to sit still, I can duct tape you to a chair. But that don't mean anything has been accomplished. And honor can start with you. Listen, if you're in a messed up thing, that's okay. Honor can start with you. If family all around you talks about you, if your kids are disrespectful, listen, I was in the doctor this past week, and it was so funny. He, told me this, he tells me stories every time I come in, but I love this guy. He goes, listen, we just had to kick somebody out because they were cussing so bad. I was like, really? Tell me about it, right? Y'all know how it is, right? And he goes, listen, she had like three kids with her, and, and she was in here, and then she started cussing about how bad they were cussing. He said, and she said this to me, I don't know why they cuss so bad. <laughs> what? Really? Listen. Parents, if you look at your kids and you're like, they're just so disrespectful, respect them. Okay? Honor them. Let them see what it looks like. Honor them. Create a culture of honor in your family. Create a culture of honor in your family. And let it start with you. Even if it doesn't start with anybody else, let it start with you. And for some of you in this room, listen, this is the truth, and I know it is. We start talking about family, and some of you are like, I hate this. Daggum, talking about family. I hate family. Because your experience has been so broken with family. And that's, a, that's just the world that we live in today. Some of you, it's just... Anytime that topic comes up, you kind of cringe on the inside. But I want you to see this passage of Scripture that comes out of 1 John. And I'm going to read it off the screen because this comes out of the message. And it's just the way it's put. What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. That's who we really are. But that's why the world doesn't recognize us. Or take us seriously because it has no idea who he is or what he's up to. 
But friends, that's exactly who we are. Children of God. And that's only the beginning. So if you come out of a messed up family, you come out of a family that's broken and lost, I want you to know today that God has paid the price for you to be a part of his family. That if you've never known a father that told you you did a good job, if you've never had a mother that held you when you cried, that through his love and his mercy, you can know what it's like to be a part of a good family. Let's pray. God, today I just want to thank you. I want to thank you that we can know what it's like to be a part of a good family because you've paid the price for us to know it. So for us in this room, and we would say, hey, listen, our family's kind of, kind of something ain't right. Maybe we're playing the wrong game today. God, if there's some families in here today who would say, listen, I'm just, I haven't really created a safe haven at my home. Our home and our family is just not that for our kids, and we need to change that. Maybe today I need to stop picking on my children. Maybe today I need to start telling them how great and wonderful they are. Maybe today when they come in that door, all the stuff that they're enduring outside, it just stops. Maybe today some of us just recognize that, listen, we don't, we're not living in a culture of honor in our home. and We just need to change the way we live. So today, God, it doesn't matter where we are. All of us in this room have the potential to know what it's part or what it's like to be a part of an amazing family because You've invited us into your family. And so for that person that's in the room right now who would say, listen, it's, it's always been gross and hurtful when we start to talk about family. I just pray right now that through your grace and mercy that you would call them to be a part of yours. That they would know the great love that you have for them that they could hear you say, well done. That they could know that, that they're accepted and valued. And so today, God, if it's, if it's our families that need changing, or maybe even if it's just us, and we need to stop running from being a part of something that you're doing and just accept it, let us do that. Now, nobody looking around, I just want to ask you a question today because this is a really sensitive issue and I don't want anybody looking around or wrestling with this. I just want to ask you if you would say today, you know what? I never knew that God could be my father. I never knew that I could have a love that was related to him where maybe my dad was messed up or my family's been messed up and I've just not wanted anything to do with this because it always just seems so messed up because that's what I came from. But today, today I'm willing to take a step and to say, you know what? 
God, if you can love me like a good father, I'll let you. Maybe today, listen, you've just been, you've been broken by life and it's hurt. And at this point, at this point, you're like, I'm just ready to give up. Just want you to know today that, that God will tell you that you're his child. But it's like any good child, you've got to accept the love that the Father wants to give you. So he's invited you to be a part of this family. He's already paid the price for the adoption through his son, Jesus. His death on the cross covers all the cost. So today, if that's you, if you say, listen, I'm just tired of running. I'm tired of doing that. I just want to, I want to have a real authentic relationship with a loving father. And Jesus, if that's you, would you raise your hand so that I can pray with you? If that's you today. Thank you, I see that. Anybody else? Anybody else? And today, how many of you across this room, nobody looking would just say, listen, my family needs a game changer today. And there's some stuff I got to go home. Would you pray with me that I go home and do what I know I'm supposed to? If that's you, raise your hand right now. Amen. Amen all across the room. Thank you, guys. Well, let me finish praying for you. God, for those people who raise their hands so that they just need a, need a dad today and you, Lord, love them because you can. For those of us in this room that raised our hands and said that we need today, we need a game changer in our family and there's some stuff that we learned today we need to walk out of here and put in practice God for those of us that said that Lord let us do it in the name of Jesus amen how about a a hand clap for those people who just made a decision to follow the Lord that's awesome